welcome to another episode of the Extraordinary Moms Podcast. I'm Jessica Dahlquist, your host, and every Tuesday I interview a different mom who shares their motherhood journey and the lessons they've learned along the way. If I've learned anything from interviewing such a wide range of moms, it's that no two extraordinary moms look the same. We all have a story to tell, and we are all mothering in our own way. So let's celebrate that and learn from one another. Thanks for listening, and if you like what you hear, please share this show with a friend. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to episode 239 of the podcast. Thanks for tuning in today. So many of you have reached out telling me how much you loved my episode with Michelle Kaylee on Tuesday. If you have not already listened to that, make a time to listen. You'll definitely want to grab your tissues ahead of time, but Michelle shares her motherhood journey along with her recent journey of battling cancer, and she's speaking from a place of knowing that she has a very short time left on earth. But the perspective and the hope and the peace that she has just surpasses all understanding. And it really just prompted me to think twice about how does my day-to-day reflect what I want for the end game of my life? Am I living my day-to-day contributing to that higher purpose that I want to be working towards and fulfilling? If not, I need to make some changes. And there are some tweaks that I've made in my day-to-day, just the way I'm spending my time and prioritizing my to-dos and eliminating other to-dos that are just not important. Giving less weight to the worries that are not of eternal consequence, right? Incredible. So thank you, Michelle, for coming on the show. Today, I have a great episode for you today. A few weeks ago, I posted on my Instagram stories that my family and I have set up a few rules and boundaries for our children in terms of protecting them against sexual abuse. My husband is a lawyer, um, and while he has been a corporate lawyer and while he's a JAG in the Navy currently, he specifically, his job right now is victim's legal counsel. That is being a support person, a legal support person to somebody who has been sexually assaulted. And the the people that he works with currently are affiliated with the military and usually they are military members or spouses. However, there are also situations where it is a military child involved. And as my husband has seen more and more instances of child abuse and become very much more aware, trained, and aware of the dangers that exist in the world that we live in, and really those dangers are no different in this day and age aside from the additional access in social media and the online world and the ability for creepers to get into our child's life – It's just getting more attention lately, and I'm grateful for this conversation. So today, I want to share with you um, a training I went through through the Boy Scouts of America. You don't have to be affiliated with Boy Scouts or have anything to do with them to learn a lot. Um, I am going to be volunteering at a Cub Scout camp this summer, and so they had us go through a youth protection training, and one of the components of that training was on sexual abuse. I found this so helpful. And in addition to sharing what I learned through that sexual abuse training, I'm also going to share some other research that I've done about um, ways to protect your kids against abuse. And then in addition, (laughs) addition, 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 I'm going to share about what our family specifically does, some rules that we have in place to protect our children. I think it's so important to realize that no child or person is completely immune to this risk. 
So today I'm going to talk about what I learned through the training, what my husband has seen, the rules we've implemented with our own family in order to just help you to have a little bit more insight and perhaps awareness that you can then talk to your kids about some of these things. It is such an important conversation to have. But first, I want to thank one of our show sponsors, and that is BioClarity. Healthy habits are an important part of how you maintain great glowing skin. Especially with summer approaching, I want to make sure that I am taking care of my skin in the best way possible. Well, I found this great clean and green gentle skincare line that helps me get naturally glowing skin that's 100% vegan, cruelty-free, and has a new ingredient called Floralux made from chlorophyll. This ingredient is proven to nourish the skin, soothing away imperfections and blemishes, and I cannot tell you how great my skin has felt since I've started the clear skin routine with BioClarity. So there's three easy steps, a cleanse, a treat, and a restore. And I love that routine that I do both morning and night. It's helping fight breakouts, soothe skin, minimize redness, reduce pore size, and even out the skin tone. I pair that with my favorite sunscreen and I'm good to go for the day. And I'm feeling great about my how my skin has been looking lately. The BioClarity system is delivered straight to your door, so you cannot get easier than that. So to get started on healthier habits with your skincare, just go to BioClarity.com. And guess what? My listeners will get their first month for 50% off of a routine, plus shipping is free. And it comes with a 100% risk-free money-back guarantee, but you need to enter my code, capital E-M-P. That's BioClarity.com and enter my code E-M-P. Thanks so much, BioClarity, for sponsoring the show. Now let's move on to the topic at hand, sexual abuse. I know this is not a fun, fun topic, but it is always better to think through these things ahead of time before it's an issue that you are trying to resolve once it happens, right? So I think the first thing to realize is that in most cases of sexual abuse, it is usually somebody that you know or your child knows. It is very rarely the creepy guy in the back alley. While I'm a huge proponent of protecting children against online predators and taking and putting boundaries in place um, with online safety, it is actually less likely it's going to be somebody like that that is actually going to sexually abuse your child than it is going to be somebody in your circle that you see and interact with on a daily basis. So the stats are one in four girls and one in six boys are sexually abused. And a lot of times these numbers may or may not actually be accurate because it is a close relationship. There is so much secrecy and shame. A lot of these incidences do not get reported and so those numbers could actually be higher but this is the number that's published generally so when we're thinking about protecting our children we have to think about all the communities in which your family and the children are involved are they on sports teams are they involved in a church community scouting are you close with neighbors and are they doing lots of play dates school gymnastics, dance, I mean the list goes on and on, but you really have to assess the various communities that your family is involved in and different places where there are adults or older children in authority over your children where they could be at risk of sexual abuse. There are two different types of sexual abuse, obviously adult abuse and youth on youth abuse. Youth on youth abuse is accounted for about 25% of cases. This can be older siblings or cousins, or just older children, usually two to four years older than a child that feels in a position of authority that has done the work of grooming a child in order to manipulate them to the point of abuse. 
A lot of times these cases happen in overnight scenarios. It can start where it seems like a game and then it kind of escalates. This is less likely, but still, it is so critical. We don't have male babysitters. I do have older boys come over to be kind of mother's helpers sometimes, but it's never without me being present. And it's not that I do not trust these kids that I'm having in my home. It is simply that it is just not worth the risk. Simple as that. I don't typically send my kids over to other homes where I know there's older brothers present if I don't know the family very, very well. Um, in terms of playdates, I get a lot of questions about that. How do you do playdates once your kids are school age? They're wanting to go to other people's homes. And this has been really tricky. Typically what I do is we start with um, playdates at the park where I meet with the mom or whatever parent is at home. And the kids can play at the park or play outside or play soccer. And I'm getting to know the mom. I'm seeing the kids interact. I see what the family's like. I'm able to ask really easy conversational type questions. You know, do you have other children? How old are they? What are they into? What does your husband do? So questions like that where it seems like I'm just getting to know the family. But really I'm assessing, is this the kind of home that I would feel comfortable having my child go to? At that time, I'm also gathering data on perhaps their stance and rules and boundaries that they have set. I'm seeing how tightly they're monitoring their kids' behavior at the park. I'm also getting answers maybe to some other questions like, do you have guns in the home? What do you feel like that? Do you do sleepovers? Things like that. And as I assess that information, then I can more comfortably make a decision if I feel comfortable having my child go over to their home. And there are some situations where after a few park playdates, I do feel comfortable enough and we do an after-school play date during daylight hours only. He plays for a few hours. I come pick him up. And then I ask questions of how did it go? What did you do? Um, who did you play with? Things like that just to follow up. But then there are some families where it's like we're park play dates only. And that's just the boundary that we have to set in place because I don't feel 100% comfortable. It's not worth the risk. So if I know that there's older brothers in the homes, that might be a situation. But for families I do know very well, we do make exceptions to that rule, but it's always during daylight hours. So adult abuse is the process of an adult building trust and authority over a child and then grooming them to the point of actually executing that abuse. Let me tell you about what I've learned about the process that offenders go through in order to pick their victims. So Number one, they select a target community where there's weaker boundaries, more vulnerable community members, and rules that are easily broken. So if the ratio of adult supervision to the number of children involved in that community is very low, it's much easier to get access to children, especially one-on-one -on -one access to them, and it may not be noticed that an abuser is targeting a certain child and being able to access them one-on-one -on -one in order to put them in a precarious situation. They might target areas where there's not background checks, where there's not thorough monitoring of children, and where the children themselves come from a more vulnerable situation in their home life, and so they may be easier to gain authority over. So the next thing after selecting the community from which to pick the child is actually selecting a child to target. They do look at what kind of home life they have. Are the parents really involved? Do they communicate a lot? And an abuser usually knows both the parents and the family situation as well as the child. That's not always true. 
but just because you know them as well as your child, it doesn't mean that that is a safe situation. Um, and so knowing that a child, you know, is often left home alone or doesn't get much attention or the parents have a rocky relationship or there's addiction problems, whatever it is, if there's any type of vulnerability in the family, that is a more likely child that's going to be targeted if there's any neglect in the home, things like that. The third step is grooming. Grooming is a form of manipulation. And grooming does not look like creepy behavior, especially in the very beginning. It looks like charming, desensitization, trust building. But you will notice that as somebody is grooming a child, they're also pushing the boundaries. And when a child starts to notice or push back, when a, when an adult is kind of encroaching upon their personal space or boundaries or what feels comfortable to them, then the abuser will retreat very quickly and try and repair and restore that relationship to a healthy level, quote unquote healthy, um, where the child feels safe again. And then they'll take another stab at trying to push those boundaries again until the line gets pushed further and further but there's still that trust there this is very progressive and oftentimes it starts with um, showing interest in what the child is interested in doing games with them but then it escalates to more physical type interaction prolonged hugging, massages, maybe taking pictures or video of the child, but getting them very comfortable with those types of interactions, showing them, hey, I'm your buddy, I'm your friend, I love you, we can touch each other, it's totally normal. It is so important for your child to know that that is never normal. Anytime they start to feel insecure or anxious or nervous about an interaction with another adult because they're pushing those boundaries, Never, never normal. That is a huge red flag and they need to know what to do when that occurs and create that protocol ahead of time. Let them know they can come to you and even if it's meant to be a secret thing, even if the person is saying, oh, this is between you and me or or putting a finger to the mouth and saying, shh, don't tell. There is a plan in place that they will tell their parent and they can feel comfortable that they are not going to be held accountable for that interaction. They're not going to be in trouble for that interaction. It is always important to tell, especially before it gets too far along. Another important thing to realize, like I said, usually it's somebody that the children and the parents know, is that the abusers actually work to groom the parents as well. If there is an adult in your child's life that is being especially overtly friendly to you, giving gifts, developing rapport, they seem to like your kid even better than you like and love your child, that is a huge red flag. And I feel really conflicted about this one because I really want good friends in our life and people that adore my child and want to be there for my child and validate them, but it should never be in excess of how I feel or interact with my child. And there's other red flags that should also be appearing or could also be appearing. If those things in conjunction with each other holistically make you feel uncomfortable, do not risk it. Really take a look at that situation and that relationship and make sure that there are boundaries set in place. Some signs of and red flags you might see in abusers. The first is they strive to become close to the whole family and develop rapport with everybody in the family. They become very accessible. They're always there helping out, being the first one to jump in. You feel like you're building trust with them, but really they are trying to build trust so that they can push the boundary. They often give excessive gifts. They share your interests. And then it might escalate to 
taking lots of pictures of your children, if they ask them to sit on their lap, or they're overly physical with them, giving them lots of hugs, massages, things like that. If there's an adult that's ever texting your child one-on-one and they're not copying somebody else on it to kind of monitor that interaction, no, no. And they're always striving for one-on-one time. It might seem really nice that the nice neighbor down the street wants to take your child for ice cream. You will be going on that outing with them. That is a very nice offer. Let's all go get ice cream. We don't want to to deny friendships and relationship building, but there's no reason that they need to take your child one-on-one without your supervision. Now, as my husband's pointed out, this usually is just an issue with males. Um, If it is a woman that is committing sexual abuse, there is something mentally wrong with them. And usually there's way more signs in the rest of their life that make them feel like a threat or make you concerned. Whereas males, there is not a stereotypical sexual abuser. There's not one way that they look. There's not one age. There's not a certain mental problem with them. They can be fully functional in all aspects of their life and still be sexually abusive. That makes it really, really hard to identify and really scary. But like I said, if you're looking for all of these types of things and you are getting red flag after red flag, just start putting those boundaries in place and either cut ties or just put more strict boundaries where your child is never alone with them and they're not given that access to your child. Chances are the people that are listening to this podcast, you extraordinary moms out there, your children are less at risk because you are excellent moms who are striving to keep open communication with your kids. Predators do not typically target children from solid homes where the parents are really involved and always talking to their kids and really involved in their life and involved with you know everyone all the other adults in their life and volunteering and things those are not easy targets does it happen yes and so that's why i'm putting this information out there but at the same time realize that by having some of these conversations and thinking through these things with your kids, making them aware of the red red flags and putting protocols in place for if something like that does happen or you do start to feel weird or like your boundaries are being tested, this is what you do, then you can kind of move on a little bit more, always checking back in with your kids. But really the kids that are most at risk come from vulnerable situations, um, from homes where their parents are not as involved. So yes, this information is still for you, but do not get overly worked up about every single adult in your child's life um, because you can kind of assess the type of relationship you have with your child and are they, you know, more prone to being at risk or are they, you know, kind of more land in the middle. You can decide that. So the types of things that we've set up in our home based upon my husband's experience, what I've read and learned and everything like that is, you know, always be on the lookout for red flags. Be really aware of the adults that are in your child's life, their teachers, the people at school who work with them, coaches, church leaders, scout leaders, dance teachers. Um, Like I said, it's more likely men, but still just being really aware of Anytime, especially that you're leaving a child without your supervision, who is watching over them? What is the ratio? Is there access one-on-one to your child from another adult? Are they driving in a car alone? Are they being left at practice alone? Are they staying after school for tutoring? Are you leaving them with a babysitter? Those types of interactions where an adult or an older youth would have access to them and might raise some red flags to you, 
you need to have those boundaries in place. We do not do sleepovers. Nothing good comes from a sleepover. Have you ever experienced a really good, edifying sleepover? (laughs) I have not. I've always wanted to go home about 1030, but then by that time, it's too late to call my mom, right? Or it's embarrassing. So set up a plan. If If your child is invited to a sleepover party and you don't feel comfortable with it, say, okay, I'll pick you up at 9.30 or 10 p.m., and but you can enjoy all that time, and then I'll pick you up, and you can sleep in your own bed because you, everyone's just happier in the morning once you've slept in your own bed, right? If your child is really fighting for those sleepovers, have a discussion with them. Tell them what your concerns are. And it's not only sexual predators and abuse issues that come up over over at sleepovers. It's, you know, what happens if you start your period? What happens if you wet the bed? What happens if you have a nightmare? What happens if you just want to go home and it's the middle of the night and you can't sleep and you're so uncomfortable? What happens if you're just not comfortable sleeping on the floor? There's lots of things. Bring up those questions with your child and have a discussion with them. And then they can kind of decide, does that sound worth it to them? If it's a family you know very, very well and you're comfortable with it, you know, kind of talk through those scenarios with your child and say, okay, well, if this happened, what would you do? If this happened, what would you do? Um, Or what could you do? And brainstorm with them solutions for those problems so they're not caught off guard. So if that's a decision you choose to make as a family, that's totally fine. But just make sure you've thought through those things ahead of time in order to keep your child safe and comfortable. But for us, it's just a no sleepover rule specifically because we have boys and it's just not worth that. Um, we also do play dates at the park, like I said, to get to know the families. And then we either get to know the family really well and we say, okay, you can have an afternoon play date over at their house. And I pick up at a certain time after two or three hours or I deem, oh, well, I don't really know the family well enough or they have older siblings or I'm not really sure about the gun rule or, you know, they're always inviting for sleepovers and I just don't feel great about that. And so we just stick with park play dates. And those work really well. The kids have a lot of fun and they never know that I'm freaked out, <laughs> right? It's also good to know who's home. The age of the siblings, the gender, is the dad home? Does the dad work from home? Step parents, things like that. Step parents can really cause a problem, um, especially for stepfathers. If you are from a step home, you know, I want to speak sensitively to this, but because there's not that same biological distance um, in not viewing your child in a sexual way, it's just another child to you. It's not your own flesh and blood. There's not that same boundary, not to say that biological parents don't abuse because they can and they do, um, but having that that relational distance from the child makes them more susceptible. And then it's like sleep after, sleepover after sleepover um, situation. And so just watch that. Watch that really, really carefully. And ways to really help empower your kids. Talk to your kids. Talk to your kids about anything and everything. Keeping open lines of communication will definitely make your child less at risk. Know the families and the coaches that your children surround themselves with. Try and eliminate one-on-one scenarios as much as possible that are not under your supervision. Your child should never be getting in a car with another male adult or older sibling, cousin, whatever, um, without your supervision and without you knowing darn well that you can trust that person. Um, and just constantly be looking for signs. Are your Is your child becoming more withdrawn? Are they anxious about going to a certain place, to school, to a team? to a friend's house, 
Um, are they being more reserved? Are they um, not talking to as much as they used to? Those are all signs that your child may have been abused, bullied, something like that. And it's just important to dig a little deeper. It does not always mean that it's that extreme, but it's just important to always keep tabs on what is baseline behavior for a child and are there changes? And has there been any changes in their environment or interactions with other adults? You should be asking about their day, day to day, when you're picking them up from a play date or from scouts or from school or from soccer practice. You're saying, you know, how did it go? Who did you play with? Um, What did you do? How do you feel? And if they seem withdrawn or like there's any issue, having the space for them to be able to talk about, you know, what they just experienced, it's really important. It's really important. And... Ultimately, don't assume that predators can be judged based upon their looks. There have been lots and lots of people abused by people that they have loved and known very well. And in my husband's line of work, it is so tragic to see kids who are so conflicted about charging their stepfather or their father or their older brother with sexual abuse charges because they love him or because it will cost them money at their job or they'll lose their job or they'll go to jail or they'll be mad at them. Kids are afraid to come forward if they know that the consequence is going to be that they're going to be embarrassed or shamed over it. They're going to be looked down upon. They're going to be um, responsible for any of these negative consequences. And so they keep quiet. And it is sad and it is cyclical. And children that are abused by one person it is so much more likely that they will be abused by a second or a third or a fourth person throughout their life because they have developed these habits of secrecy and shame and worth. What are they worth? Is their body worth being taken care of and treasured? Are they only really receiving attention and affirmation from people who push the boundaries with them? Or are they receiving that love and attention from you, their parents who they love and trust? So just make sure you're cultivating that in the home first, and then you can look outside the home to make sure that the interactions they're having are safe. I hope this has been helpful for you today. It is something, I mean, I even feel a little nervous and amped up talking about it because it is just such a frustrating thing that we have to deal with, but it is far worse to deal with something after it pops up in our child's own life. And we're dealing with healing and trauma from a bad experience of sexual abuse than it is having an awkward conversation before something like this happens. And even if you don't want to put scary ideas in your child's head or you're not sure what to say or what questions they have or what boundaries to put in place, start small. Talk to them about the potential dangers and the types of red flags that they can be looking for. And ask if they've had any experiences like that. And then just continue to keep the lines of communication open. And if you do that, I'm so confident that you can feel really good about the foundation you've laid for your child in this area. And you can just continue that communication. Keep praying for your children. And that's really all you can do as a parent. Thank you for listening today. Um, this youth protection training is up at Boy Scouts of America. If you want to create a username, you can view that. I think I think you can do that. 
Um, and then there's also lots of other resources online. If you just Google signs of sexual abuse in a child, signs of a sexual abuser, um, and then lots of other protection um, resources for educating your child and getting them help in the event that one of these things does affect your family. You guys are extraordinary moms, and I just really appreciate you for listening and taking the time to want to protect your children. We're all just doing the best we can, and I'm grateful that I can just provide this conversation for you this morning. Coming up next week on episode 240, I have a conversation with Susan Ramirez. Susan is the extraordinary mom of two who is also the founder of Austin Angels, a foster care organization that helps support families who foster children. So they are not fostering families themselves, but they might help support other foster families with signing up for Little League or taking them to practices or supporting them financially, whatever it is. She saw a need and she really rose to the occasion of helping foster families. And it is a fabulous, fabulous conversation that I cannot wait for you to hear. And then coming up on Friday, we're going to hear from a foster mom who's had three three or four foster placements now, Stephanie Nelson, and she is just an extraordinary mom who's going to share her own personal experience with the foster system. So thanks for tuning in today. Let's keep our kids safe. Love you guys so much. If you don't already follow me on Instagram, you can do that at JessicaDahlquist3 or on Facebook at Extraordinary Moms Podcast. Over at ExtraordinaryMomsPodcast.com, you can see pictures, show notes, links to anything we talked about today. You can listen to episodes and past episodes there as well. Be sure to leave a review if you haven't already and you're loving the show. You guys are the best, and we'll see you next week for another episode with another Extraordinary Mom. Bye.